my favorite theorem, a podcast about mathematics, theorems, and I don't know, just about anything else under the sun, apparently. I'm Kevin Knudsen. I'm one of your hosts. I'm professor of mathematics at the University of Florida. This is your other host. Hi, I'm Evelyn Lamb. I'm a freelance math and science writer based in Salt Lake City. So how are things going? It's homecoming weekend. So uh, we're recording this on a Friday, and um, for people who might not be familiar with the Southeastern Conference football, it is an enormous thing here. And so today is a, is a university holiday. Um, campus is closed. In fact, the local schools are closed. Um, there's a big parade that starts in about 20 minutes. Um, my son marched in it for four years, so I've seen it. I don't, I don't need to go again. Yeah. Had brunch at the president's house this morning. You know, it was, it's, it's, you know, it's a big festive time. I hope it doesn't get rained out, though. It's looking kind of gross outside. Yeah. yeah, how are things for you? All right, yeah. Thankfully, no parades going on near me. Um, far too much of a misanthrope to enjoy that. <laughs> but no, it, things are fine here. Uh, my alarm clock, so, so we're also recording in the, the week in between um, the last Sunday of October and the first Sunday of November. In right. 2007, the U.S. switched when it went away from daylight saving back to standard mm -hmm. time to the first Sunday of November. But my alarm clock, which automatically adjusts, was manufactured yeah. before 2007. And, I have one of those too. Yeah. yeah. So it's constantly teasing me this week, like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if it were only 7 a.m. now? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, All right. Well, yeah. The, the, the first world problems, right? Yes. Very, yeah, right. very yeah. much. <laughs> All right. So today we are uh, thrilled to have uh, Skip Garibaldi join us. Skip, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Skip Garibaldi. I'm the director at the Center for Communications Research in La Jolla. You're from San Diego, aren't you? Well, I got my PhD there. Ish? Yeah, ish. Okay. So I actually, yeah. I grew up in Northern California, yeah. but once I went to San Diego right. to get my degree, I decided that that was really the place to be. Well, who can blame you, really? Yeah, um, a lot to love there. <laughs> it's hard to argue with San Diego. <laughs> yeah. So you've been all over, though. I mean, for a while you were at um, Institute for Pure and Applied Math at UCLA, Yeah, right? that was my job before I came to the Center for Communications Research. I was associate director there. That was an amazing experience. So their, their job is to host conferences and workshops, which bring together mathematicians in areas where there's applications or maybe mathematicians with different kinds of mathematicians where the two groups don't normally talk to each other. And uh, so they, the fact that they have this vision of how to do that in an effective way is pretty amazing. So that was a great experience for me. Yeah, and you even got uh, you were even in the news for a while, didn't didn't you and a, a reporter like uncover some crime syndicate? What am I remembering? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, somehow I, I became known for uh, writing things about the lottery, and so a reporter who was doing an investigative piece on lottery crime in Florida contacted me, and I worked closely with him and some other mathematicians, and some people got arrested. Uh, the FBI got involved, and it was it was a big adventure. So Florida man got arrested. <laughs> never, never, never yeah. heard of that. That's There's a so story weird. about someone yeah. in Gainesville in the newspaper article. You could take a look. Uh, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. I promise. And whoever said math wasn't an exciting field. That's right. All right. So. You must have a favorite theorem, Skip. What is it? I do. So, you know, I listen to some of your other podcasts, and I have to confess my favorite theorem is a little bit different from what your other guests picked. Good. We like the the great range of things that we get on here. <laughs> so I, my favorite theorem for this podcast is about, you know, it answers a question that I had when I was young. 
it's not something that was part of my research today. It's never helped me prove another theorem, but it answers some question I had from being in junior high. And so the way it goes, it's, I, I'm going to call it the unknowability of irrational numbers. Okay. So, so let me explain. When you're a kid and you're in school, you probably had a number line on the wall of your classroom. And so it's just a line going left to right on the wall. And it's got some markings on it for your integers, your 0, 1, 2, 3, and your minus 1, minus 2, minus 3. Maybe it has some rational numbers like a half and 3 quarters marked. But there's all these other points on that number line. And we know some of them, like the square root of 2 or, or E. Those are uh, irrational. They're decimals that when you write them down as a number with like pi is 3.14, we know that you can't really write it down that way because the decimal keeps on going. It never repeats. So wherever you stop writing, you still haven't quite captured pi. Mm. Uh, so what I wondered about was like, can we name all those points on the number line? Is it our, our pi and E and square root of two special or can we get all of them? And it comes up because your, your, your teacher assigns you these math problems and it's like, x squared plus 3x plus 5 equals 0. Tell me what x is. And then you, you name the answer. And it's something involving a square root and division and addition. You use the quadratic formula. You get the answer. Mm -hmm. All right, so, so that's the question is how many of those irrational numbers can you actually name? And the answer is, um, well, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right like like weirdly like a lot of them but not many exactly right? yeah so yeah. if you just think about it how what was it what would it mean to name one of those numbers it would mean that uh well you'd have to write down some symbols into a coherent math problem or a sentence or something like pi is the circumference of a circle over a diameter and when you think about that well there's only finitely many choices for that first letter and finitely many choices for that second letter so it doesn't matter how many teachers there are and students or planets with people on them or alternate universes with extra students. There's only so many of those numbers you can name. And in fact, there's just countably many. So. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so are we talking about just the class of uh, algebraic numbers or are we even thinking a little more expansive? Absolutely more expansive than that. So for your, uh, your okay. answer, your, your, audience members with more sophisticated tastes, you know, maybe you want to talk about periods where you can talk about the value of any integral over some kind of geometric object. Uh, oh, right. Okay. You still sure. have to describe the object and you have to describe the function that you're integrating and you have to take the integral. So it's still a finite list of symbols. And once you end up in that realm, numbers that we can describe explicitly with our language or with an alien language, you're stuck with only a countable number of things you can name precisely. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, that, that makes sense, I suppose. Um, yeah, and uh, so, Kevin, you asked about algebraic numbers. There's other ca classes of numbers you can think about, which the ones I'm talking about include all of those. You can talk about something called closed-form numbers, which means, like, you can take roots of polynomials and take exp and log. Right. That doesn't change the setup. That it doesn't give you anything more than what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just to, to back up a sec, uh, algebraic numbers basically is like roots of polynomials and then doing like multiplication and division with them. That's right. Uh, that kind of yes. thing. So, Thanks. Yeah. So like closed form, then you're expanding that a little bit, but still in a, a sort of 
countable way. Yes. Like what what kinds of numbers could you express precisely, uh, you know, if you had a calculator with sort of infinite precision, right? You're going to start with a, an integer. You can take its square root. Maybe you can take its sine. You know, you can think about those kinds of numbers. That's another notion. And you still end up with a countable list of numbers. Right. So this, this, this sounds like a logic problem. It, yes, really. it does feel that way. Yeah. So Kevin and Evelyn, maybe you're, I can already imagine what you're thinking, but let me say it for the, the benefit of the people for whom the word countable is maybe a new thing. It means that you can imagine there's a way to order these in a list so that it makes sense to talk about the next one. And if you march down that list, you'll eventually reach all of them. That's what right. it means. But the interesting thing is if you think about the numbers on the number line, we know going back to Cantor in the 1800s that those are not countable. Mm -hmm. So the, that's some, you use the so-called diagonalization argument if you happen to have seen that. Right. Yeah, which is just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, just got, have to put a plug in for diagonalization. Oh, it's wonderful. I've been yeah. thinking about it a lot in preparation for this podcast. I agree. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so what that means is, is that, that that's the statement, is that these irrational numbers, you can't name all of them because there's uncountably many of them, but only countably many numbers you can name. Mm -hmm. right. And it sort of has a hideous consequence that I want to mention, and it's why this is my favorite theorem, because it says it's not just that you can't name all of them. It's just much worse than that. So the thing that I, I mean, the reason I love this theorem is not just it answers a question from my childhood, but it, it tells you something kind of shocking about the universe. So when you, if you could somehow magically pick a specific point on the number line, which you can't because, you know, there's, right. you have yeah. finite resolution when you pick points in the real world, <laughs> but pretend you could, then the statement is the chance that the number you picked was a number you could name precisely is very low. Exactly, zero. it's essentially zero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the technical way to say this is that the, the accountable subset of real numbers is uh, has Lebesgue measure zero. Right. So I, I was a little feeling a little awkward about using this as my theorem for your podcast because, you know, it, the the proof is not much. If you know about countable and uncountable, I just told you the whole proof. And you might ask, what can I, what else can I prove using this fact? And the answer is, I don't know. But <laughs> we've just learned something about irrational numbers that I think some of your listeners haven't known before. And I think it's a little shocking. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you, I was maybe uh, more of a late bloomer on thinking about this than you, because I remember being in grad school and just feeling really frustrated one day. I was like, you know, Transcendental numbers, the non-algebraic numbers, are the you know one hundred percent of the number line. You know, Lebesgue measure one, and I know like three of them essentially. You know, I, and I'm like e pi and natural log two, and and you know really two of them are already kind of in a relationship with each other. They're both related to to e or, or natural log idea, um, and it's just like. You know, okay, two pi. Oh, that's that's kind of a cheap transcendental number. Uh, like, there's there's really not that much difference, and, and it's just like, I, I mean, I guess that in, in a, a sense, I only know like one irrational number, which is square root of two, and then like any other roots of things, or like non-transcendental, and like 
than I know the rationals. But but yeah, it's just like there are all these numbers and I, I know so few of them. Yeah. <laughs> right. And these other these other things, of course, when you start dealing with infinite series and you, you know, you realize that, um, you know, the the uh, say the Sierpinski carpet has area zero. Yeah. Right. But it, but it's uncountable. And you're like, wait a minute, this this, <laughs> you know, this can't be right. I mean, I mean, this is, I think, why Canner was so ridiculed in his time, because it does just seem ridiculous. So, so you were sitting around in middle school just thinking about this, and your teacher led you down this path, or was it much later that you figured this I, out? I, well, I, got the, I figured out the answer much later, but I worried about it a lot as a child. I used to worry about a lot of things. Like, uh, <laughs> your classic question is, uh, so, I mean, if you really want to talk about things I worried about as a child, uh, back in <laughs> back in seventh grade, I was really troubled about point uh, nine 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 with all the nines and whether or not that oh, was yeah. one. Uh, and I have a terrible story about uh, my eighth grade education regarding that. But uh, in the end, I discovered that they are too, they are actually equal. So. <laughs> Well, if you make some assumptions, right? I mean, there are number systems where they're not equal. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I'd be happy. <laughs> I'm not prepared to get into a detailed discussion of the hyperreals. <laughs> Neither am I. I, I just, you know, uh, but but what's nice about about that idea is that, of course, a lot depends on our assumptions. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, we set up we set up rules, and then with the rules that we're used to, point nine 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 repeating is equal to one. But, you know, mathematicians like we like we like sandboxes, right? Like, so let's, okay, let's, let's, let's go into this sandbox and throw out this rule and see what happens. Um, and then you get non-Euclidean geometry, right? Or whatever. <laughs> right. Uh, really, yeah. really beautiful stuff. Yeah. I have an analogy for this statement about real numbers that I, I don't know if your listeners will find compelling or not, but I, I do. So I thought I, I'm going to say it unless you stop me. <laughs> so <Okay>. go for <laughs> it. <laughs> so what are the, we can edit yeah, it yeah, exactly. <laughs> so one of the things I find totally amazing about geology is that you know we can see rocks that are on the surface of the earth and inspect them and we can drill down in mines and we can look at some rocks down there but fundamentally most of the geology of the earth we can't see directly we can't we've never seen the mantle we're never going to see the core and that's most of the earth so uh Nonetheless, there's a lot of great science you can do indirectly by analyzing it as an aggregate, by studying the way earthquake waves propagate, and so on. But we're not able to look at things directly. And I think that that has an analogy here with the number line, where the rocks you can see on the surface are the integers and rationals. You drill down and you can look at some, you know, you get find some gems or something, and there's your, your irrational numbers you can name. And then all the ones that you'll never be able to name, no matter how hard you try, how much time there is, how many alternate universes filled with people there are, you'll never be able to name. Somehow that's like the core, because you can't ever actually get directly at them. Yeah. I like that this. Is good. I like this analogy a lot because I was just reading about Inga Lehmann, who is the Danish seismologist who I think of as an applied mathematician, um, who was one of the people who found these different um, seismic waves that uh, and showed that the the inner core had the um, I guess liquid part or, or I guess the core had the liquid part and then the solid inner core she she determined that it couldn't all be uh, uniform basically by doing inverse problems where yeah. like oh these waves would not have oh, come sure, right. from this yeah. so so like that's very relevant to something I just read Christiane Rousseau actually wrote a really cool article about Inga Leibniz, yes. so yeah. just that's a great article <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, so yeah, cool. people okay, should so uh, look that up. Yeah. Great analogy. Um, 
weeks. Yeah. So we, we know now that this this is a, a, a long time theorem for you. So uh, that, 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 that's another question we've already answered. So, okay, what does one pair with this unknowability? Ah, so I, I think I'm going to have to pair it with one of my favorite TV shows, which is Twin Peaks. Mm. Okay. So okay. I, I watch the show. I really enjoy it. But there's a lot of stuff in there that just is impossible to understand. <laughs> and, and you can go read the stuff the the people wrote about it on the side and you can understand a little bit of it but you know most of it's clearly never meant to be understood you're supposed to enjoy it as an aggregate that's true um so you and i are the same age roughly we were in college when twin that's Peaks right was a thing. Did, did you did, did you watch it then? Uh, no i just remember the personal ads in the uh, school paper saying anyone who has a video a recording of twin peaks last week uh Please tell me I'll bring donuts. <laughs> <laughs> you, you grew I up were... in a dark time. <laughs> <laughs> before DVRs. That's yeah. right. Uh, well, yeah, before Facebook or anything like that. You, wanted, you had to like put, a, put an ad in the paper for stuff like this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really, a... really understanding the angst of your generation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? I, I, I kind of preferred it. I, I, I kind of like not being reached. You know? <laughs> like, like, like cell phones are kind of a nuisance in that way. Um, although I don't miss paying for phone calls. You remember that? Staying up till 11 to not have to pay long distance. Um, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. So, so Twin Peaks. All right. So, so you like pie. Yeah, clearly. And coffee. Um, and coffee. Yeah. And, and, and right. Snoqualmie. Okay. Very good. I don't know. If you... Sure. <laughs> I only sort of vaguely remember, I remember what I remember most about that show is just being frustrated by it, right? You sometimes you'd watch it and a lot would happen and it'd be like, wow, this is bizarre and weird and David Lynch is a genius. And then there'd be other shows where um nothing would happen. Yes. I mean nothing. And and I'm you know, uh also see uh book two of Game of Thrones, for example, where nothing <laughs> happens, right? You know. And and um uh, and, and and so this was sort of David Lynch, of course, was sort of at his peak at that time. And, right. Um, all right. So da so Twin Peaks. That's actually that's a good pairing because you're right. You'll never figure that out. I think a lot of it is meant to be unknowable. Yes. Just yeah. If you've seen season yeah. three of Twin Peaks, the one that was out recently. No, I don't have cable anymore. About so. halfway through that season, there's an episode that is intensely hard to watch because so little happens uh -huh. in it. And uh, if you look at the list of you know, the, the viewership ratings for each episode, there's a steep drop off in the series at that episode. <laughs> so this is like the, <laughs> the most unknowable part of the number line. If you if you follow the analogy. <laughs> OK. All right. All right. That's interesting. I mean, I, so I, I assume that these um, these knowable numbers are probably fairly evenly distributed. Cause I guess the rationals are you know pretty evenly distributed. Um, so yeah, so so our, our our listeners might wonder if there's some sort of weird distribution to these things, like the ones that you can't name. Do they live in certain parts? And the answer is no, they live everywhere. Yes, that, right? that's that's absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder yeah. though if you can kind of I, I'm uh, thinking of like continued fraction representations where there is a, a explicit um, definition of. of a number that's either like well approximable versus badly approximable numbers. I guess those are approximable by rationals, not by finite operations or, or closed formness. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's a bad analogy. Mm -hmm. um, well, yeah. if you're if you're uh, you or your listeners are interested in you know thinking about this some 
question some more, then you can Google closed form number. There's a Wikipedia entry to get people started. And there's a couple uh -huh. of references in there to some really well-written articles on the subject. Uh, one by my friend Tim Chow, that was in the American Mathematical Monthly, and another one by uh, Borween and Crandall that was in Notices of the AMS that's for free on the internet. Oh, great. Okay, great. We'll yeah. link to those. And actually, here's this uh, question. I'm not sure. Uh, I'll just say, uh, is this the same as computable or is closed form a different thing from computable numbers? Yeah, that's a good question. So there's not a unif uh, there's not a widely agreed upon definition of the term closed form number. So that's a, <laughs> I mean, okay. that's already a question. And then I'm not sure what your definition of computable is. So yeah, me neither. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just I just heard of the term computable. Um, but yeah, I guess the the nice thing is no matter how you define it, it's still your theorem will still be true that's right which is yeah. that uh, there's, exactly there's uh there's yeah. still only countable and now we found something else unknowable are these the same things <laughs> that, that's those are really hard questions in general yeah that, that's the main yeah. question plumbed in those articles i referred to is if you define them in these different ways how different are they if you take a particular number oh, cool. does it sit in which set those kinds of questions yeah those are really hard usually much like you said, uh, what are the transcendental numbers that are, you know, are certain numbers transcendental or not can be a hard question to answer. Yeah. Yeah. Even, oh, if, very hard. even if you think, oh yeah, this certainly has to be transcendental. It takes a while to actually prove it. Yes. Or maybe you exactly. can't. I mean, I, 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 I wonder if some of those statements are even actually undecidable, but right. again, we'll never know, <laughs> right? Yeah. All right. We're going down weird rabbit yeah. holes here. I, I maybe 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 David Lynch could just that do would a show. be great. <laughs> yeah, just be, be, be a lot of mathematicians and nothing, not much would happen. <laughs> and maybe owls. <laughs> and maybe owls. Right. <laughs> uh, well, this has been great fun. Thanks for joining us before you head off to work, Skip. Uh, our, our listeners don't know that it's uh, you know well, it's now nine in the morning where you are. Um, so uh, thank, thanks for uh, joining us, and I hope, I hope your traffic uh, isn't so bad in La Jolla today. Um, Every day is a great day here. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> sure. Yeah, thanks, Gary. Yeah. Thanks for listening to My Favorite Theorem, hosted by Kevin Knudsen and Evelyn Lamb. The music you're hearing is a piece called Fractalia, a percussion quartet performed by four high school students from Gainesville, Florida. They are Blake Crawford, Gus Knudsen, Del Mitchell, and Bao Chan Nguyen. You can find more information about the mathematicians and theorems featured in this podcast, along with other delightful mathematical treats, at Kevin's website, kpknudsen.com, and Evelyn's blog, Roots of Unity, on the Scientific American Blog Network. We love to hear from our listeners, so please drop us a line at myfavoritetheorem at gmail.com, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter. Kevin's handle on Twitter is at NivikNazdunk, that's Kevin spelled backwards, followed by Knudsen spelled backwards, and Evelyn's is at Evelyn J. Lamb. The show itself also has a Twitter feed. The handle is M-Y-F-A-V-E-T-H-M. That's at My Favorite Theorem. Join us next time to learn another fascinating piece of math.